Welcome. Glad to, glad you braved the quarter-inch snow we had last night. You are truly a hearty people. Um, let's have a word of prayer, and we will we will begin. Dear Father, we are grateful to you for the day. We know it is your gift. As the scripture says, as Paul says in Acts, in you, we live and move and have our very being. And we depend completely on you, Father, for uh, life today, but life forever because of Jesus. We're grateful for that. We thank you for the gospel of John that tells us more about Jesus and in ways differently from the other Gospels. So we we thank you for all of the different writings and letters of these men that you've preserved for us. Father, we think each one of us knows people who are not feeling well or who are having different struggles, whether it be health, emotional, financial, whatever it might be. You know our thoughts as we remember these people and lift them up to you. And we ask your blessings in their different needs. Ask your blessing to us today studying this chapter. And then we ask for your, I ask for your leading and help in it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in John chapter 6. Um. It's kind of a, John 6 is kind of a, a critical chapter in, in this book. Uh, in this particular chapter, Jesus is going to come out from any, any hiding that he's done to um, hold back his, who he is, his identity. And he's coming out totally with, as they said in the 60s, with both barrels blazing. I don't think they said that back in A.D. 30. My there, dad still says that. There were no barrels to blaze, but, yeah, some people still say it, I might. Um, but anyway, he's really coming out uh, in this chapter that he is God's son, that he is from heaven, that he is the son of the Father, that he gives eternal life, that he is the bread of life. Uh, at the front end of the book, he lets his works speak for themselves, uh, the signs that he did. And uh, he led people to come to their conclusions about who he is um, based on what he did. And when Nicodemus, as you recall, when Nicodemus came to him in John 3, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we, we being the Sanhedrin, we know who you are, that you're from, we know that you're from God because no one could do the things that you do unless God is with him. So the Sanhedrin is already talking among themselves about, uh, okay, this guy, this is no normal fellow here. And how could he do these things, all these healings, these signs, unless God is blessing him to do that? So they knew something was up early on. 
Um, now, as we started out in chapter 6, he, he feeds 5,000 men and um, probably it was 10,000 people, 10 or 12,000 people with, with a little boy's sack lunch. And so that just sort of blows everyone away that he had done that. And so I want to pick up here in uh, verse 15 of John chapter 6. As he's just finished feeding the 5,000 men and plus, and uh, they've picked up the baskets. And so perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. So he, he knew what was about to happen. He can read the crowd and he says, well, I see where they're about to do something prematurely. I'm not ready for this. So he withdraws. I, I want us to notice something real quickly, kind of a side thing in Mark's, in Mark's uh, telling of this. Go to Mark chapter 6. Mark has, adds a few things that John did not include. Um, Mark 6 and uh, notice what it says in verse 45 Um, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side he made his disciples get into the boat Jesus knew the crowd he knew the rumblings in the crowd and the, the talk that this This is the Messiah. This is the prophet that Moses spoke about. He's going to be our king. Let's make him king now. He knew all that was going along. And so Mark says here, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. And then notice verse uh, 52. uh, Talking about the disciples, once he had gone to them out in the boat, he said, they did not understand about the loaves and their hearts were hardened uh, I, I think the indication here is that the disciples were being swept along with the crowd. I think they got caught up with the momentum of the crowd that let's make him king. The disciples had seen, lot, seen lots and lots and lots of miracles and signs he had done. They're already pretty well convinced that he's the, the guy. But he made them get into the boat and leave He did not want them to be part of that. And then Mark concludes there in 52 that they didn't understand. Their hearts were hardened. I think think it's saying there that they were being swept along with the crowd too. That's my idea on that. Not mine only. Uh, But several have that idea about it. So... um, The thing is, the Jews, they were ready to get the Roman yoke off their necks. And they were ready for a king, a Messiah. And uh, so let's, let's start in verse 16. Uh, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, started across the sea. It was dark. Jesus hadn't come to them yet. The sea was rough because of a strong wind. And they were out there about four, three and a half miles or so. And they saw Jesus walking on the sea near the boat, and they were frightened. Mark says they were terrified and and screaming. (laughs) 
Well, his words were in the translation, they cried out. So these, these grown men, they're scared by what they're seeing. They're out there three and a half miles from the shore in this boisterous environment. And this guy's walking to them out there and they know that it's not a foot deep out there where they are. Uh, so they're scared. Uh, they think it's a ghost initially. And he says in verse 20, it is I, do not be afraid. And uh, one commentator I was reading about this says that the actual phrase there when he says it is I is uh, that he actually said I am. Uh, do not be afraid. The most common command or instruction in the Bible from God to man is do not be afraid or fear not. He says that over and over and over as we have interaction with the other dimension, with him or with angels typically. And Jesus uses this too. Do not be afraid. And that is God's message to us still. Don't be afraid. Um, you know, we talked about uh, some time back, I forget which class it was in, but I know we talked about it in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15, uh, the Hebrew writer says that Jesus came to free us who lived under slavery to the fear of death all of our lives. That's what man does once he gets to be uh, 10 years old or more and starts to realize a little bit about how things work and uh, a person realizes, okay, uh, I could die. And so uh, we want to live, that's natural, that's a built-in thing, to live. Uh, and that carried with it a fear of death at some level. And so the scripture tells us in Hebrews that one thing Jesus came to do was to free us from that fear. To say to us, you're going to be okay. I'm in control of life and death, and there will be a physical transition, but I am in control of how that goes and where you will be on the other side, and it's something you do, do not need to fear. I want you to know that I've got you. And so when you come to your transition time, I, I want you to know that I've got you. So, you know, I like the passage which I've mentioned this before in John 14, where he writes Jesus' words, let not your hearts be troubled. Fear not. You believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe what I'm saying and stay with me. Stay with me. And the scripture tells us in many places, the different writers mention how we will be tested. There will be tests. And, 
And it goes back all the way back to Abraham. Abraham was tested. Scripture, uh, Moses in writing, Genesis, Abraham was being tested in offering Isaac. Would he obey God or not? Would he, would he do it? Would he trust God? And Abraham reasoned that if I kill my son Isaac, God's going to raise him back. So I'm going to go through with this. Um, there will be tests. Of course, you know, we, uh, I've jotted in my notes, Psalms 23, how that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Very easy to say that. Very easy to say that. It may be a little bit different thing to accept that. I'll fear no evil. I will not fear death because you are with me. You are with me. Um, when, Luke, uh, in, in, when Luke records the angel coming to Mary, the first thing the angel says to Mary uh, right off the bat is, fear not, because she's, she was terrified. When the angel appears to the shepherds out in the field, they're, they're scared, spitless. Fear not. I have good tidings for you and for all men. I've got good tidings for you. Don't be afraid. When John, who later writes the book of Revelation, at the beginning of his vision in Revelation, as he talks about that, he says, I, I, I was in a, in a, sort of in a trance in this vision, and the angel appeared to me, or uh, Jesus appeared to me and said, do not be afraid. I have something to tell you. I want you to tell the seven churches. So the instructions were, do, do not be afraid, fear not. That, that is God's message to us all the way through. So we're familiar with Romans chapter 8, where the scripture says that nothing, height nor depth, nothing can separate us from God's love for us. Fear not. And yet there are tests that come, tests come, and the tests are to, a lot of times, help us understand if we're going to trust God or not. Um, look, look in, in the book of James, chapter 1. And, and right off in his letter, James says, in verse 2, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials, tests of different kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Ooh, what was that? Was that me? Clearing my throat? <clears> throat> I don't know. 
Um, I'm trying to remember what I was going to say. See, sometimes you're thinking about what you're, how you're going to phrase it. Sometimes you're just standing up here trying to remember. Well, let's look at my notes and see if I can recall. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very important that we understand that our faithfulness to God, our trust in Him, knowing that there will be tests, being a Christian and being faithful to God does not mean I will be insulated insulated from harm or problems. We just read in James, and Peter talks about the same thing, about the testing of our faith. And certainly Stephen, when he was being um, stoned to death for preaching Jesus, for being faithful to God, for doing his, God's will, um, God didn't leave him. Jesus was there, but he didn't rescue him. There was a reason and a purpose that he was going to set with Stephen's example of how your faith goes all the way to and through death and how that encourages others also to not, don't give up. Don't give up on Jesus. He came back from death. You you can too. But why is God letting me suffer? Why is God letting this happen? He's maybe letting you, me, be an example of faithfulness. We may not know all of that. Come forward about three rows. Turn to your left. Glad to help out. So Stephen sees in the vision, he says, I see the Lord standing at his, as he was being stoned there in Acts 7. I see Jesus standing. The only time in Scripture I'm aware of where Jesus is standing and at the killing of one of his faithful servants. So Jesus was very much there. Stephen goes through suffering. But God's message to us is that I will be here and bring you through. Your destiny is to live with me. And you're going to have to go through a transition. And I am here and I will bring you through. Trust me. Trust me. Message of the scriptures, be not afraid. Trust me. Uh, Real quickly, as we leave the walking on the water there. Uh, so we all know the story how Peter says, well, Jesus, if that's you, let me come out to you. And he says, come on out here. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and you know he walks out to Jesus, and then the scripture says he starts looking at the waves and all the turmoil around him, and he starts to sink, and he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus says, okay. And he says, oh, you have little faith. And so I want us just to, I want to just say this. Uh, We should take heart in 
this story of an event that happened that God includes in the scripture that if we take our eyes off Jesus, if we lose our focus on Jesus, that's when the real trouble starts. Wrong decisions, wrong directions, wrong behaviors, all of that snowballs if we take, if or when we take our eyes off Jesus. It is not within man who walks, Jeremiah says, to direct his steps. It, the path is fraught with mistakes and bad decisions. And so, so why does God put that event in there in the scripture for us to, to know about? That's exactly why. Don't take your eyes off me. If you do, you're going to make wrong decisions, you're going to have wrong behaviors, and you're going to have bad consequences. It's going to snowball. It's going to, if, if, you, if you change your focus, it's not going to go well. That's the truth of it. Uh, so, any comments? Mike? Well, you know that's one of my favorites, that scripture. Um, when, when Peter said, save me, uh, Jesus actually put him into the boat. He grabbed his hand put him into the boat. Yeah. So, would that scripture also indicate that if, if your eye is taken off Jesus and you start to fall, that if you ask for his help, it'll lift you back up? So Mike says, if, so today, if our eyes get off of Jesus and we ask for help, will he, give us, will he lift us back up? Comments? Ye sages? Script? Who is it says that? Was that Hebrews? Or in the Psalms? He is, the Lord God is a very present help in our time of need. It's either Hebrews or Psalms. Uh, so I think yes, maybe. Steve. Pay close, keep your eyes on Jesus. Pay close attention to what you've heard. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you hearing me, he says? Are you listening? Are you understanding? I saw Rachel. Will God, will God rescue us when we ask for help? And Rachel's saying, maybe there's two parts to that. Spiritually, for sure. Uh, removing the consequences of our bad decision, maybe not. We learn from our consequences. Hopefully, we learn. And sometimes it's just the nature of things. There are consequences to sin and to bad decisions. And hopefully we learn from those so that we don't repeat them, but there are consequences. We used to have the dreaded spoon at our house. Derek can tell you about the spoon. If Derek or Daniel did something that wasn't really good, Pam would say, Daddy's going to get the spoon. When I was growing up, it was a willow switch. 
But I learned there are consequences to bad decisions, and sometimes we learn that now. Mike? I'm thinking of it from more of a faith standpoint than a, a bad decision standpoint. Peter was walking on water. He was doing it. He was living it. And it took the wind to blow for him to be distracted. To me, his faith was distracted, not, not his vision on Jesus. That's how I read it. And so when, when I think about it, I think to myself, like, if you look at, uh, sorry, Corinthians. If you look at Corinthians 10.13, um, in there he says, one of the last things he says, but when I am tempted, he will also provide a way out so that I can endure it. So maybe those aren't the same of the same thing, but my point is if you are if you are loyal but your faith your faith is fragile. Mm-hmm. I think our faith is fragile in general. If it wasn't, like I said, Peter was walking on water, how much more faith do you need? The proof is right under your feet. Mm-hmm. But the wind blew, he started to sink. So my point is in that situation, you know, Jesus I believe Jesus is there to to help us if we ask for it. Because Peter cried out and said, help me, I'm sinking. And he did. And that goes back to what Rachel said, is that God is there to provide the spiritual help we need. And he may use other people. Uh, he may use any number of different things. But the Lord, is his ears are open to us when we cry for help. Don, you want to say something here? You're quoting Hebrews 12, verse 2, or you're quoting a song. I'm quoting a song, Mike. But the song is quoting Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Set your eyes on Jesus, who is the uh, author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, so, the, so the thing is, there will be trials, there will be tests, there will be trials. And uh, thank you, Mike, for that. I, I think you're right. His faith was tested. Uh, I think it was tested when he took his eyes. The scripture says that he, uh, Mark says he noticed the waves and the turmoil going on around him. So, so he did take his eyes off the Lord physically and saw the turmoil he was in and his faith was weak. And he says, help me, and he got the help. Okay? Okay. Roberto and Johanna, it's good to see you guys. If you guys don't know Roberto and Johanna, you need to know them. Don't they, Scott? Scott says you need to know them. Henry, you see them back there? Go meet them afterwards. There's somebody you need to know. Okay. Uh, So Jesus makes this comment. Let's drop down to verse 27. Um. This is, where, this is where it really starts to pick up momentum. Uh, well, let me, let me go back. Uh, the crowd noticed that Jesus wasn't there anymore. They figured out he's going to Capernaum. They go around to the, the sea, uh, the shoreline, and get to Capernaum, and he's there, and they're asking him, how'd you do that? How'd you get here? And then Jesus says in verse 26, truly I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the food. You're out, 
you're out for your stomachs. You want more food. Verse 27 is a huge verse. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Uh, Two things here. Um, So we need to, we have to earn a living. We need to earn a living. God has set it up this way. When he, when he made the, built the garden and put Adam and Eve in it, he gave them duties to do, to dress the garden. He, he wants people busy and working. And so part of the penalty was then after that, he told them, you're going to have to earn your living by the sweat of your brow or the sweat of your neurons today because there's uh, these tech jobs, there's not much sweating going on. But you get the point. You're going to have to work to earn it, is what he's saying. You're going to have to work to earn it. Earn a living, but do not lose focus of the priority. So Jesus says, don't work for foods that perish, but work for the food that gives eternal life. That needs to be your main priority, the food that gives eternal life. And folks, there are a lot of distractions, one of the spiritual weapons against us, the arrow of distraction. It has wounded many and killed many. Distractions to chase after things that are not eternal, things that are less important. Yes, we have to earn a living, but That's not the priority of what we're to be about. If we lose focus of that, focus again, that leads to trouble, dissatisfaction, and all kinds of issues. I've used this passage before. Not everybody has been in a class I taught before, so I want to use it again. Jeremiah Right after Isaiah, guys. Isaiah, Jeremiah, chapter 2. To me, and you know the nickname of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and in his sad book, this is one of the saddest passages in the sad book, but it's not Jeremiah speaking, it's God speaking. And it's incredibly sad and insightful. Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse 5, thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? What, What wrong did I do? Why was I not enough? What was wrong with me, God says, that your fathers left me, that they wouldn't stay with me, that they went after worthless stuff and became worthless? The, the greatest being on the face of, in, uh, that created the universe, who made us, saying, why wasn't I enough? Wow. So, let's read on, verse 12. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. 
Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. Number one, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And number two, they've dug out wells for themselves, broken wells that can hold no water. Man's designs do not last. Man's designs are always coming up short. They do not satisfy what we're really after. If I could just make this much money, I would be happy. If I could just get that promotion, that would be enough. I would be set on and on and on it goes. Never, never solves it. So God says, look what they did. They left me the fountain of living water. And what did they do? They dug out their own wells that leaked and didn't hold water. Who was it that did the song, When Will They Ever Learn? When will they ever learn? Was that Bob Dylan? Jennifer, do you know who that was? Anyway, that's the question. Pardon? Van Morrison. Some of you are saying, who is Bob Dylan and Van Morrison? Drew, never heard of them, right? You've heard of them. You know, a lot of people your age have not have no idea who the Beatles were or Elvis. It's just who? <laughs> when will they ever learn, Jeremiah? You know, one of the major reasons for us to be together every week is to be reminded of our priorities, right? We come together, we see each other's smiling face. We're all in our places with bright, shiny faces. That's all I remember of that one. That was not Van Morrison. But the interaction, the smile, the interaction, how, how are you? It is good to see you, and sometimes we even touch. <laughs> Maybe someday we won't have to do that anymore. Fellowship is so important. Fellowship. So we've got, how many are in here today, uh, Roswell? 59. Did you count yourself? Did you count Jordan? So we got 59 or 60 in here. But we'll have... 230 in here in in, uh, 30 more minutes. He's singing the song, When Will You Ever... Uh, Why is fellowship more important? You can weed through the poor teaching. It's worth your time, worth our time to come together to be together and to encourage each other. Mike might say something, or Steve, or Henry, someone may say something that may trigger a thought or an insight. Trevor, what, what's that youngin's name? Caitlin, what, what's your kid's name sitting between you? Thomas? Did you count Thomas? <laughs> he didn't count Thomas. There is 60. 
I wonder about those things. And Jesus makes a huge statement in the latter part of verse 27. He said, I'm the one on whom God has set his seal. And the word seal, they are very familiar with what that word means back in the day. When the king set his seal on something, it was authoritative and it didn't go any higher than that. Well, nothing goes higher than the seal of God. And Jesus says, God the Father has set his seal on me. So he's, he's really telling them something about who he is. And uh, so, he, so they said, uh, let me see where I am. Verse 28, they said to him, what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus said, the work of God is that you believe on him and who he has sent. So they said to him, what sign do you do that we may believe? What work do you perform? Are you kidding? He just fed 10,000 people with a sack lunch. And they want to see a sign. Jesus says, it wasn't Moses that gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, give us this bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread. Bread of life that gives life to the world. Uh, Let's go to verse 35. I'm the bread uh, of life, he says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that, let me see. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet don't believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of what he's given me and raise it up on the last day. God's will was that Jesus would lose none of those who came to Jesus and that they would be resurrected on the last day. The resurrection is the key to who Jesus is. Now the father said when Jesus was baptized, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So there's one witness right there. The witness of God. This, the voice from heaven, this is my son. All the signs that Jesus did were things that men can't do. Those were witnesses. The prophets were witnesses. When Jesus comes back from the crucifixion, from the grave, and walks out of there, Paul writes in Romans, he was proven to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection. Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians, you're still in your sins if he's not raised. The resurrection is the, the final stamp on who Jesus is, that he is God's son and that he is the source of eternal life and that he will lose none of whom the Father has given him and his purpose given to him by the Father is to raise us up on the last day. 
Now we know the spirit leaves the body when we die. He's not raising the spirit. He's not raising the spirit. Spirit is long gone. Solomon says the body returns to dust, the spirit returns to God who gave it. There are two destinations for spirits, good spirits, evil spirits, people that pleased God, people that didn't. We're told that story in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. One goes to rest and and peace, one goes to very unpleasant place. So what's going to be raised? Our bodies remade, reworked, spiritual bodies. Once again, once again, you know the drill, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes the whole chapter about this. Somebody will ask, how are the dead raised? Verse 35, what kind of body do they have? Verse 38, God gives us a body, gives it a body that he has chosen. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is buried is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. So Jesus says back there in John, he told me, the Father told me I would lose none of those he gave me and I would raise them up on the last day. So Paul writes here, the body that is buried is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is buried in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is buried in weakness. It is raised in power. It is buried a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Re, remade. Spiritual body. Superman, superwoman, basically. More than that, spiritual body. That's just a glimpse of kind of what we'll be like. We we don't know exactly. John says we don't know exactly what we'll be like, but we know we'll be like Jesus because we'll see him as he is. 1 John 3, 2. We'll see him as he is. We'll be like him. We'll have a spiritual body. Verse 52, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, imperishable. We will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, this mortal body must put on immortality. Body, soul, and spirit saved. God doesn't lose anything to the enemy. It's not, we don't become angels in heaven. We're not going to be spirits floating around heaven. Our spirits will be rejoined with our bodies that are raised imperishable. And we will be a spiritual body saved. So the encouragement is let's not be distracted by these things that get, that get in our way here. Don't work for food that perishes. Work for food that does not perish, that gives eternal life. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us.
And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.